are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Tuesday, December 28th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talkin' Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're listening to today, then please be sure to go and follow the podcast. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. It'll only take a quick couple of seconds, and it's all for free wherever you may listen to your podcasts, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all for free, and if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. Alright, what's up everyone? As always, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks and for making the show your first listen here to start your day. I hope everyone out there is having safe travels with the snow finally having arrived earlier this afternoon, and of course... In vintage Chicago fashion, it came down in an abundance. So, hope everyone out there is um, managing to stay safe on the roads, traveling safe. Uh, I know I personally had a pretty sketchy drive back home to the suburbs after practice this morning. A couple of white-knuckle moments there for sure, where I was uh, gripping the steering wheel for dear life. I managed to make it home safely somehow, though, which is always good. But on the show today, folks, I'll be going over a couple of Blackhawks prospects in Team USA having to forfeit their game against Switzerland this afternoon due to a couple of positive COVID tests. I'll also discuss everything that occurred at Blackhawks practice this morning, including forward Tyler Johnson making a surprise appearance towards the end. And then to wrap things up, I'll share a short portion of a conversation that I had earlier today with Jay Forster from Lockdown Blue Jackets, where we break down the Seth Jones and Adam Boquist trade back in the offseason. All that and more right here on Lockdown Blackhawks. To start off the show today, though, folks, I want to talk for a quick minute about Team USA having to forfeit that game at the World Juniors earlier this afternoon. And of course, three Blackhawks prospects find themselves on the United States WJC roster forward Landon Slagert, defenseman Wyatt Kaiser, and goaltender Drew Comesso, all of which are a part of the 2020 draft class for the Blackhawks. Comesso was their second round pick, and then Slagert and Kaiser were both third round selections. Slagert went 79th overall, while Kaiser just went a couple picks later at number 81. And all three actually kicked off the tournament with a pretty strong start earlier in the week as uh, they each, all three chipped in to lead the United States to a 3-2 victory. Wyatt Kaiser had uh, a primary assist on a goal from Landon Slagert and then um, Comesso wound up getting getting the win in net and was actually named the player of the game as well against the Czech Republic. And today, at 3.30 p.m. Central Time, the United States were scheduled to take on Team Switzerland, a contest that I was honestly uh, really excited for because I didn't get to catch much of that game on Sunday against uh, the Czech Republic. I had family in town for Christmas over the weekend and everything, so um, this was really going to be my first opportunity to get a glimpse of the United States in this World Juniors tournament. And 
just a couple hours before puck drop. Ugh. TSN's Bob McKenzie was the one to come out with a report that there had been potentially a positive test or two from the United States, and he even suggested that um, one could have come from their goaltender department, actually. At this moment, we're still not sure exactly who tested positive on the United States team. Um, We're not sure whether uh, it was Drew Camesso or another goaltender, but that's just what McKenzie had heard, apparently, and he... um, Confirmed that with another post later on stating that uh, officially one of their three netminders was responsible for the positive test. Um, they, they had two positive tests come out this afternoon and that was enough, I guess, to forfeit this game against Switzerland. And the original reports from McKenzie actually said that the game was postponed, but apparently... Um, heading into the tournament, if there were positive COVID tests before a game... There has to be a forfeiture involved, so in the box score and in the rule book, this will go down as a one nothing loss for Slager, Kaiser, Camesso, and Team USA, which ugh so so unfortunate and I'm I'm sure they're quite frustrated as a group. And I don't know, I, I just personally think this is kind of the wrong way to go about things in this tournament, because let's be real here, this probably isn't going to be the only outbreak throughout the course of this tournament. I hope I'm wrong, but if that does wind up being the case, then uh, is the IIHF really just going to have forfeitures come into play for all these circumstances? And what happens if it's for, you know, more crucial games later on in the tournament? Are they going to force forfeitures? After only a couple positive tests? I don't know. I I just don't understand why they wouldn't at least try and postpone the game for a a couple of days later or something. And and this was something McKenzie actually spoke about. Only two positive tests for the United States. And it canceled the game. Caused a forfeiture. One came from their goaltender department, which again... Could be Drew Camesso, we're still not really sure. And then the other came from one of their 14 forwards on the roster. And if that's enough to call for a forfeit, I'm honestly kind of scared for the remainder of this tournament. Because the last thing I want to see is kids from any country, not just the United States, kids from any country at all. I would hate to see them, you know, get their opportunities taken away to win a medal at the World Juniors because of a, co- a couple of positive COVID tests. I just don't want to see a team have to forfeit because of those reasons. It just doesn't sit right with me. And sadly, this wound up being the case for the United States. Cost them their second game of the tournament. Hopefully these players can provide back-to-back negative tests here in the next couple of days at least, because on the bright side, neither of these two players are showing symptoms and are reportedly feeling fine, according to Bob McKenzie. So hopefully, you know, that will continue to be the case and that Landon Slager, Wyatt Kaiser, Drew Camesso in the United States don't have to miss out on any more World Juniors games due to COVID-19. All right, there are some quick thoughts on Team USA being forced to forfeit their game earlier this afternoon against Switzerland. 
Coming up in just a moment, I'm going to talk about John Doe 2 reportedly reaching a settlement with the Blackhawks, as well as Tyler Johnson returning to the ice earlier this morning. But first, I need to talk to you all about betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. BetOnline has you covered all season on more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season in the NFL and NCAA continues to march towards the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head on over to our new updated desktop or mobile website and sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN, one word in all caps, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, the NHL, NBA, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKDOWN, that's one word in all caps, to receive your bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Moving on into segment two here on the show today, one thing I definitely need to be sure to talk about for at least a couple of moments is the report that had came out yesterday that John Doe 2 had officially withdrawn his lawsuit against the Blackhawks, indicating that a settlement has likely been reached. John Doe 2, of course, is the high school student that was sexually assaulted by Bradley Aldrich in Michigan back in 2013, after Aldrich's time with the Blackhawks and controversial departure. But now, both John Doe 2 and Kyle Beach have reached settlements with the Blackhawks in the past couple of weeks, which is definitely nice to see after a, a little bit of a shaky start between the two sides. And I kind of think that made a lot of people believe that the Blackhawks weren't looking to settle in these situations, despite what Rocky Wirtz had uh, reportedly told the organization's lawyers. uh, Apparently, the Blackhawks were going to handle this with the utmost professionalism and were going to try and seek a fair resolve for both sides and to really not try to drag this whole thing out. So it was nice to see that. Um, John Doe 2 also has already received his settlement with the Blackhawks just a week, actually, after Kyle Beach did. I believe Beach got his settlement on the 15th of December, and John Doe 2, uh, even though the report only came out a couple of days ago, this was apparently settled on December 22nd. That's when uh, Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times came out with the article, and, and in that piece, he, he said he wasn't 100% certain or or wasn't sure whether or not this dismissal of the lawsuit, because that was the news that he broke, was because a settlement had been reached or not. But then yesterday, Rick Westhead of, um, he's not actually of TSN, but Rick Westhead, who's done a great job and has been on TSN numerous times to uh, not only speak with Kyle Beach, but provide the facts of, of both of these lawsuits to the public, which is very crucial. Rick Westhead just continues to do a phenomenal job, but he was the one that came out yesterday and confirmed 
that the dismissal of this negligence lawsuit with John Doe 2 was, in fact, due to a settlement. So, you know, obviously, no amount of money could ever change the fact of what happened on that day back in 2013. But I'm hopeful that, you know, this can be the start of the healing and moving forward processes for both Kyle Beach and for John Doe 2. Now that there's, you know, no more court, no more um, legal processes or anything to deal with, I believe it's all finally over. After a, a crazy and devastating, tragic last couple of months, the Blackhawks have reached a settlement, a non-disclosure settlement, by the way, um, for both of these two lawsuits. Hopefully this will be the turning of the page of the Blackhawks culture, hockey culture in general, because we don't need these situations in professional sports. Getting into the Hawks being back at practice this morning for the second consecutive day now following the NHL pausing the season. Um, Not a whole lot actually changed, though, between practice on Monday and practice on Tuesday. The Hawks rolled with the same exact forward lines. Debrinkit, Borgstrom, Kane up top, Hagel, Taze, Strom as the second line, Kubalik, Doc, and Kershev as the third, and then Jujar Kara, Mackenzie Whistle, and Ryan Carpenter as the fourth, with Curtis Gabriel once again serving as the 13th forward. The defensemen actually were, were kind of all mixed and matched together. I, I wouldn't really say that anyone served a, as the odd man out like Eric Gustafson did on Monday. But with Marc-Andre Fleury remaining in COVID protocol, Colin Delia was once again on the ice along with Kevin Lankin in for practice this morning. There's still no word on Fleury's status or anything or on how long this absence could be, so just not quite sure really right now as to whether or not he'll have a chance to play in the Hawks' upcoming game on Saturday against the Nashville Predators, if that even winds up happening at this point. But the one surprise from Blackhawks practice today, folks, came from none other than forward Tyler Johnson returning to the ice for the final 10 to 15 minutes or so, just to shoot around and skate with some of his teammates for a little bit. And when I saw Johnson come off the bench, I was like, what the hell? I was not expecting to see that because... It just seemed so soon for him to already be on the ice. And going back a few weeks now, um, Johnson became just the second NHL player after Jack Eichel to undergo ADR disc replacement surgery. That occurred back on December 3rd. And, of course, you know, that whole surgery has been quite controversial. Eichel, of course, had that whole debate with the Buffalo Sabres over the surgery. He wanted to get it. The Sabres didn't want him to because no player prior to him had ever undergone that procedure. That all eventually led to Eichel being traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. He undergoes that surgery, and then just a couple of weeks later, he's back on the ice in Vegas. And now we've seen that situation happen here with Tyler Johnson. I mean, the Blackhawks, they didn't have any of the same worries that Buffalo did or anything. They completely let Johnson make his own decision here, which I was very happy to see. I think that's how it should be. And just like Eichel, things already seem to be trending in the right direction for Johnson pretty quickly. He had the surgery on December 3rd. That's 22 days ago. 
25 days ago, excuse me, my math is actually dreadful. That's why I'm in the journalism field, folks. But 25 days ago, Tyler Johnson underwent surgery on his neck. And prior to the surgery, there was a good month or so where Johnson was off the ice and kind of had been trying to figure out what the heck to do with his neck problem. Well, turns out the ADR disc replacement surgery seems to be working pretty well for NHL players up to this point. Of course, quick knock on wood there, per usual. But just 25 days ago, Johnson underwent the surgery, and he's already back out on the ice. Now, I I still do believe he has a long way to go. And on December 3rd, when he underwent that surgery, he was originally ruled to be out for the next three months or so. But this is undoubtedly a great sign that he's already... Just over three weeks after the procedure, he's already back out on the ice skating, shooting around. He's not taking part in drills or anything just yet. But he's at least back out on the ice, which is notable. We're not even into 2022 yet, and Johnson is back out on the ice. I did not expect to see him probably until uh, at least mid-January was probably earliest I was thinking. At least a month after the surgery, right? But great to see Tyler Johnson back out on the ice. Um, Again, still a long ways to go. But hopefully he can keep heading in the right direction and return to the Blackhawks lineup and provide this team with a little bit of that offense that he has in his bag. Because uh, if you've been watching the Chicago Blackhawks this year, then you know they have been struggling to find the back of the net. All right, that will take care of everything on Tyler Johnson returning to the ice during Blackhawks practice on Tuesday. Coming up in just a moment, I am going to share a short part of the conversation that I recently had with Jay Forster from Lockdown Blue Jackets regarding the Seth Jones and Adam Boquist trade that took place over the offseason. I definitely wanted to ask, in your opinion, what have you thought of, of the young 21-year-old Adam Boquist so far? Because personally, I was someone who really always liked him in Chicago. It was tough to see him go. But I understood why the Blackhawks had to get rid of him on, on the right side of their defense in order to bring in a big name like Seth. What have you been impressed with? And what are your overall thoughts on Adam Boquist so far through his first 18 games in Columbus, Jay? Yeah, I, I couldn't be happier, honestly. Uh, he's phenomenal. And he's still, he's still only a kid. He's still only 21. Uh, I think he, like I had the, I I liked his game all, all season. Um, He's been out injured for a while now. His last game, I think was kind of the the moment where I was like, oh, this is what we have. Uh, He scored three goals in like two games. He had a really good weekend just before he got injured. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh, this is what we have. He's, we we look at Zach Wierenski as kind of an offensive defenseman, pairing him with with uh, Jake Bean this season, who we flipped for that second round pick that we got from the Blackhawks, uh, has really let him play more of a defensive style. He's still offensively minded, but it allows him to kind of sit back and take a a more kind of two way style, and then that in turn gives uh, Adam Boquist this opportunity to be that offensive like rover style defenseman that that Wierenski has been for the past couple of seasons he's getting power play time he's and again he's he's only 21 I keep forgetting that he's so young because he looks like he's been playing 
forever. And he's, yeah, I couldn't be happier. And I know that he was a name that we threw around with, like when we were doing mock trades in the off season. Um, yeah, he, I'm, I'm really happy with, with Boquist. I'm excited to see how he continues to grow and develop. And like, yeah, I miss, I miss Seth Jones. I think this team, I don't think this team is necessarily suffering without Seth Jones, but it's definitely a very different, uh, it's a very differently built team, especially on the back end without Seth Jones. And I think Adam Boquist is going to be a really big piece of that in the next couple of seasons. Yeah, there was never any denying that Boquist was going to be a gifted player in the offensive zone and on the power play. Even at 18, when he was in Chicago for his first training camp, you're like, wow, this kid knows what he's doing when the puck is on his stick and he knows how to shoot it. I, I feel like by moving him to Columbus, where he has a guy like Zach Wawenski in front of him, you know, he doesn't have to come in and be the number one defenseman. I think in Chicago, you know, Duncan Keith is aging. Brent Sieber just retired. No one when Boquist was here last year or even the year prior, everyone's kind of looking at him to be the future number one defenseman, right? And there's also an argument that he might have been rushed to the NHL a little too early by Stan Bowman because he was such a big name and a top 10 pick and everything. I agree with that personally. I think that didn't do his development any favors. And now that, you know, he, he's got some more games under his belt as a 21-year-old, he's finally, I think, putting it together a little bit more when there isn't all that pressure on him, I believe. I, I think I could be wrong on this, but I just think having a guy like Zach Orensky there who can kind of be that all-around defenseman is going to make it a little bit easier for Adam Boquist to play to his style, right? Because we, we know he's gifted offensively. I did have worries about him defensively. We're going to have to wait and see how that all transpires. But I think it's a little bit easier for him to be an offensive stud in Columbus when you have a great, smart two-way player like Zach Wierenski as opposed to where in Chicago, he was already playing top pairing minutes, you know, at 19 and 20 years old. And it's pretty apparent he wasn't ready for that defensively. Yeah, so he's kind of been flipping between the second and third pairings. Uh, and I think like that worried me at first when I was like, why do we have Adam Oquist on the third pairing? But the, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this kind of playing by committee. You know, when John Tortorella was in charge, it was basically three lines of forwards. And then the fourth line would get like four minutes of ice time a night or the third pairing defenseman would get like seven minutes of ice time a night. Beyond Zach Wierenski, who has taken that kind of Seth Jones spot of playing like 25 minutes a night, which I don't agree with, but is a is a rant for another time about defenseman load management. Uh, most of the defense are playing a fairly even amount of time. He's been getting, you know, upwards of 14, between 14 and 16 minutes of, of ice time a game, which is honestly about what you want. Yeah, for, for a young guy, you know, and I think that that also has been helping if he's not, he doesn't have to play those top line minutes. And, you know, I've been talking for a long time about how um, sometimes when you play players less, it's better, you know, and I think that that was really apparent for me as well in terms of Seth Jones specifically, because how like how good would he be if we were not playing in 30 minutes a night? You know, if if he has if he can use that 30 minutes of energy in a 20 minute space instead, you know, how much better is he going to be? And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with Anna Boquist is if he's only playing 16 minutes a night, then he's giving everything in those 16 minutes as opposed to having to save it to play, you know, 20, 22 or, or whatever. So I think that's been a big, a big thing. And there, yeah, like you say, he doesn't have to play that top line role like mentally. 
he can just kind of take his time. He can have fun with it. He doesn't have to be the number one guy. And so it does give him room to, again, make mistakes because he's a 21-year-old defenseman in the NHL. You know, he's going to make mistakes. Uh, And I think, again, goes back to Brad Larson. Tortorella coaching out of Boquist kind of makes me break out in hives a little bit. Uh, But I think Larson has (laughs) been the perfect coach for... uh, a guy like Boquist for a guy like Jake Bean, who as well is still very young, but is looking really promising for uh, Cole Sillinger as well, who is the the player that we drafted with the first round pick that we swapped. You know, all these players are really benefiting from playing in Columbus, playing under Brad Larson specifically. So yeah, I, and I'm really excited for Boquist to continue to develop, to yeah, get a little bit better defensively. I think he does make, uh, a few more mistakes than I personally would like, probably a few more mistakes than Brad Larson would like. But as of right now, yeah, I couldn't couldn't be happier with how he's how he's looking. And I hope he's back. I think he should be back for Thursday's game, actually, which will be exciting. So you guys have a game scheduled for Thursday? As right now we do, yeah. But I mean <laughs> correct. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you know, as as of right now, I'll probably get out of recording this and it'll be cancelled. So uh Definitely. Yeah. we're playing Nashville on Thursday. And hey, we got him Saturday. Like 17th of December. So yeah, it's been a while. I also wanted to ask you about uh, another, well, I guess he personally wasn't a part of this trade, but uh, the pick, one of the picks that the Blackhawks ended up sending over to Columbus uh, was 12th overall pick Cole Sillinger. What have been your thoughts on Cole? Not only remaining in the NHL for his, is he still 18? Through his 18 year old season, yes. right? Yeah, he, he doesn't turn 19 for a while. Yeah. So, what have kind of you been your thoughts on, you know, him even being at the NHL level and what kind of parts of his game have you liked so far? So, at first, I was a little bit kind of wary of him at the NHL level. Uh, I thought he had a really good uh, Traverse City tournament in Michigan. He and Igor Chinikov kind of showed up and just beat the brakes off of everyone. Uh, <laughs> They came back, had a really good training camp, and there was there's a really there was a really good quote from Brad Larson where he like was talking to Cole Sillinger and he said, you know, I keep looking for reasons to to send you back to juniors or to to send you down, and I just can't find any. So he made the NHL opening night, played his nine games, played his tenth game, made it. He, I think, is exactly what this team needed from that twelfth overall pick. I think a lot of people have been looking at the the fifth overall pick we got, Ken Johnson. Uh, he's playing for Team Canada in the World Juniors at the minute. He, I think, is what people think of when they think of, you know, young star player. Cole Sillinger is not putting up points in, in the way that I think people want him to, uh, but he's got, I want to say, 11 or 12 points in, in his 28 games so far. He's been playing first-line centre, for parts of the season, you know, he's been playing between Varacek and Patrick Laine for a big part of the season. Like, that's that's a heavy line for an 18-year-old to play on, you know, to go against some of the, the best centres in, in this league. And he's been doing it with, I think, a really good attitude, a really good energy, uh, clearly a really smart kid. Uh, and, uh, yeah, again, I'm I'm really happy with this, with this draft pick. Uh, I don't, I think... If it wasn't for guys like Lucas Raymond ruining everything by putting up like a million points, then, you know, Cole Sillinger, I think, would be one of the top rookies 
this season, but because he's not putting up the points, I don't think he's getting as much attention, but he's playing center, which is the hardest position to play as an 18 year old. And, you know, again, getting 20 minutes a night, that's, that is a lot for a kid doing his playing his first full season of pro hockey. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, 11 points in 28 games isn't, you know, that's no slouch either. Uh, but Cole Sillinger was also one of my favorite players that, you know, go previewing the draft. I'm thinking the Blackhawks are going to have the 12th <laughs> overall pick. So no, it's a cool, I just spent two weeks breaking down prospects that were in the 10 to 15 range. No biggie. Thanks for wasting my time, Stan. Um, but hey, I mean, of- I, I spent a bunch of time looking at the top five guys because we had, we had, so we had fifth, 25th and 32nd. Those were our three first round picks. Uh, and I did a bunch of research for like the first, I don't know, the first like one to six guys. And then I did a bunch of research for like the 25 to 30 guys. And then obviously about six hours before the draft, the trade came in and I was like, cool. I don't know anything about guys between like eight and 18. <laughs> and then they were like, Cole Cylinder. I was like, oh, that would be neat. He was born in Columbus. His dad played here. Right. Uh, don't know anything about him. So, and then they drafted him and I had to kind of just pull a bunch of stuff out my butt about this player that as of right then, I did not know a ton about. But yeah, he, when you look at the fact that, you know, play like teams like Ottawa, picked Tyler Boucher at 10th overall. And then you look at Cole Sillinger at 12th, you know, he's, I believe the only player in the, in the draft that is playing in the NHL. Uh, William Eklund got his nine games and went back to Sweden. Mason McTavish got his nine games and went back to Peterborough. Cole Sillinger's, he's sticking it out. He's having a great season. And it's all the more impressive that he got picked 12th after that. Um, Mm -hmm. But more, what I'm trying to get to here is, the more I think about it, the more I really do feel like this is going to be a trade that will benefit both sides. I, I really agree with that. As long as, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Seth has eight more years on this deal. There's a while before we're going we're gonna to know who won and lost this trade officially. Adam Boquist is still very young in his career. We don't know exactly what Cole Sillinger is going to be. And there's another pick in there too. So, but, but the more I think about it, the more I feel like, I already mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think Adam Boquist is just a better fit in an organization like Columbus right now, whereas the Blackhawks needed a number one defenseman, right? Duncan Keith was their number one defenseman for probably four years too long. Like that has been a glaring hole for this team for forever. And Seth Jones has been awesome. In my, in my opinion, in most people's opinions, you know, there are those, I, I'm not going to say I'm against analytics, but there are people who strictly live and die analytics. And Seth Jones' analytics aren't the best right now. They're not terrible by any means. But some people argue that they're not number one defenseman level. What, what you th- get from this guy is number one defenseman stuff. He's one of the few players on this Blackhawks team that is able to create offense. Basically, he, Patrick Kane, Brandon Hagel, and Alex DeBrinkett are, are the four pieces of this offense that have carried the load through 30 games so far this season. And Seth's also playing, you know, 25, 26 minutes a night. Without him, I honestly don't know if this, first off, the Blackhawks defense, no one provides anything offensively except for Seth Jones. He was the leading scorer for this team for a couple of games there. He's got 23 points through his first 30 games. He didn't top 30 points in each of his last two seasons with Columbus. He's already almost there in nearly half the games. He's been spectacular, and this is the type of play, you know, if you told me these numbers now and – 
Seth would be one of the, not only uh, the leading defensemen in points this season, but, you know, among the Blackhawks team leaders and also a top five in time on ice, I'd be like, yes, that's exactly what this team has needed. The money, it is what it is at this point. You know, Seth wasn't the one that's, you're not going to blame him for signing the contract, right? I always hate that the most. You get mad at the player for making so much money when he doesn't live up to it. It's like, you would have signed that contract too, buddy. But Seth, I think, has done everything in his power to live up to that $9.5 million price tag. And that's what the Blackhawks needed more so than anything was a new face on defense to come in and take over after the Duncan Keith era. And Adam Boquist at 21 years old, I think that just would have been a little bit too much pressure on his shoulders. And uh, who knows, maybe he would have lived up to the expectations, but the Blackhawks needed someone to live up to those expectations right now. And there's no doubt that Seth Jones being a veteran is a, is capable of doing that more so than Adam Boquist was. So to me, I just more so am realizing that I think this trade could come out as a victory for both sides here. As long as, you know, everyone remains healthy. Seth Jones, that price tag, I think is really going to be the make or breaker. Um, yeah, when he's making nine and a half million at the age of 35, I think it might be a different conversation. But I think the the thing for me has always been, okay, what would make this trade a win for you? Would it be winning a Stanley Cup in the next eight years? It would off be off the back of Seth Jones. You know, uh-huh. would it be Seth Jones winning a Norris? Would it like what what would what would have to happen for you to consider this trade a win? I think too often there is this idea of just pitting the players against each other. You know, um, I've had this conversation about the, uh, the Taylor Hall, Adam Larson trade um, or the uh, PK Subban, Shea Weber trade, you know, the one for one trade, you look at them and immediately, I think there was this, there was this instinct to be like, okay, well clearly Nashville won that trade because they got the better player in PK Subban. Uh, And then you look at what Shea Weber did in Montreal and you're like, well, no, I think, you know, Shea Weber is not as good a player as P.K. Subban, uh, but he, what happened in Montreal, I think, makes that trade a win. And, okay, maybe Adam Boquist will turn out to be a better defenseman than Seth Jones. Maybe, you know, the combination of uh, Jake Bean, who we didn't even talk about, but is is doing pretty well. Uh, the combination of Jake Bean, Cole Sillinger, uh, Adam Boquist, and then whoever we get with this other draft pick if they combine to be better than Seth Jones, like, is that a win? Or is it a case of, well, no, we got what we needed, which was young pieces for this, you know, pseudo rebuild that Yamo refuses to call a rebuild. Or is the winner, the Blackhawks, who got the number one defenseman, that okay, maybe is not doing as well analytically as people want him to, but is driving this offense and is a game changer for the Blackhawks right now, you know? And I think it's, it's, it's so easy to say, oh, well, this team won because they got the better player. And I'm like, okay, but what did the team need? You know? Definitely. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's, I would love to sit, sit here and say, oh yeah, Columbus clearly won this trade. You know, I, I, we joke about it a lot about, you know, Stan Bowman got fleeced three times by, <laughs> by Yama Kekalain and twice with Brandon Saad, you know? Um, but it's sometimes that's what the you get what you need in a trade. And I think it, it's an easy joke to make that we fleeced you, but that isn't necessarily the, the case. I think. I definitely think that's a very, I really hope everyone that listened to that really 
takes that into heart because I think you put it perfectly. Like it's so easy, especially immediately to be like, Oh, who won? You know, that's what everybody wants to do. They see a trade and they're like, all right, who got the better end of this deal? Everybody wants to do that. And I completely understand it, but a, you have to consider, like you said, the teams, what they need the most, right? That should be put in, put into account. And also you got to wait some time. You can't, you're not going to know the winner and loser right there, right then. You yeah, got to see how things play in. out. Exactly. Paul so, Soldier hasn't even hit puberty yet. Like, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> exactly. But I, I definitely think this deal has the potential to suit both teams' needs. I think that's something I've kind of realized a little bit more. I, I will admit, I think Columbus, I, I think the Blackhawks took the riskier side. I'll, I'll admit that because considering how Columbus has been able to you know, kind of re- revitalize that prospect pool of theirs with kind of one big trade like that. You know, you get Sillinger, a good young defenseman like Jake Bean, who is kind of needing a new home. And you also get Adam Boquist, who has the potential to be an elite offensive defenseman in this league. I think it's easy to, you know, to say that Columb- or the Blackhawks took a little bit bigger of a risk, but at the same time, you got to take risks to, you know, you got to risk it to get the biscuit. And Seth Jones is the type of player that really can make a big impact. I've honestly, it was a little bit of a struggle early on for Seth coming into a new team, a new system, new teammates and everything. And there were a couple nights. I can't remember which game it was specifically, but a couple minutes in the game, he made a bad play, got turned, got, got burned in transition, allowed a breakaway. And everyone was like, uh Oh, <laughs> and, and then like ever since then under Derek King, honestly, too, um, He's really found his game, and I could make an argument for him or Marc-Andre Fleury, both being the MVP of this Blackhawks team since Derek King has taken over. They both have been that tremendous, and uh, I'm, I'm definitely more excited now I, uh, about Seth Jones than I am worried like I was a little bit earlier on in the season. I'm confident that he can be that number one defenseman for the Blackhawks, and I think he's just th- that kind of guy who – can, can provide you with a little bit of everything, right? He's a very good puck mover, but he's also got some size to him and he's not going to back down in the defensive zone. So I think that combination uh, is really what the Blackhawks have needed. And like you are for Adam Boquist, Cole Sillinger, and that young slew of players in Columbus, I'm super excited to see how this Blackhawks back end is going to transition with Seth Jones at the helm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that will wrap up Tuesday, December 28th's episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to go and follow the Locked On Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You can get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and even Lee Sterling's lock of the day by simply following the Lockdown Bets podcast. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to go and check out Lockdown Bets right now wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you again for... Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or you could also check out my Strictly Blackhawks account, at Talk and Hockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, you can always email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on any one of my Twitter accounts, 
or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.